Hi, everyone. Today, we have a very special episode for you. We'd like to discuss some of the things that happen at Creation Entertainment's Supernatural Convention in Denver on October 16 and 17, 2021. And a special episode would not be complete without a special guest. We are incredibly lucky to have TikTok's very own JJB Waywatch. Let's get this show on the road. JJ, welcome to Carrying Wayward. Hi. Oh my gosh. This is, I'm not kidding when I say this. This is a literal dream of mine to be on someone's podcast and to be invited on to a podcast. So thank you so much for having me. You're so welcome. Honestly, it's such a pleasure for us to have you here. Yeah, seriously. This is one of those moments where it's like, you are a face I see on my screen that Mary often sends me through our little shared group <laughs> chat for our podcast. And here you are on my screen, but like live and not just like, you know, a watch part, like not just like you're live and a bunch of people are watching you. We are having a conversation, you and me and us. And yeah. my brain is exploding. <laughs> um, I figure there might be someone who doesn't know you. So I should probably give you a, a basic introduction. So for our listeners who don't know, uh, JJ here is an actor and TikToker from uh, at from SC South I don't South know where Carolina. You're from, South Carolina. South Carolina. I realize I've <laughs> seen you. I'm not good at geography. <laughs> I'm not good at geography. So even if even if I was an American, I wouldn't know that. Hey, um, I, I'm I'm sorry. Just, SC is always just the. <laughs> I don't even think I've writ, written the word South Carolina in a decade. So like. Oh, I, I, I'll be honest. Too, I almost went South California, but I'm like, I feel like that's way too Hollywood. <laughs> that's so Cal. <laughs> no, that so you're not Cal, Hollywood. California. So Cal. So all my shows uh, take place. That's all I know. Um, <laughs> But JJ here breaks down super um, breaks down queer representation in media. He's breaking down Supernatural, Merlin, the MCU, and most recently, 911 on Fox. JJ, is there anything else you'd like to add? Um, you know, I'm just that I'm I'm really excited to be here, and I'm really excited to like have this really meaningful conversation with you guys because a lot of the times, you know, when you're making TikToks, you just you feel like you're yelling into a void and doesn't matter how many people come in or like, it's just, you're still yelling at faces, like names on screens and little tiny icons. So having to be able to sit down and have a real conversation face to face, he says, while doing quotation marks, um, is, is really <laughs> exciting. Um, I also, I, I was re-watching uh, re-listening to you guys' uh podcast before this and i remembered that you got i heard in the first episode that you guys talked about like how you guys approach things um so i thought it might be a good idea about how i usually approach things um is usually from like a storytelling perspective is how i usually come at things um i had a really great professor that like changed my way that i view story and the way that i look at how stories are arced and how um how they begin middle and end and how that all functions to create a cohesive narrative so that's usually how i approach pretty much everything in my life now um both internal in the story of supernatural and also externally and like how the world works because you know we're we're just living stories <laughs> truly we really are and honestly like that Lately, I've been really interested in that moment where fiction bleeds into reality and reality bleeds into fiction. And it, especially when it comes to narratives. And so thank you for saying that, honestly. Thank you for letting us know how you approach things. It'll hopefully help us kind of guide this conversation yeah, yeah, yeah. that we're having today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because um, I believe uh, we are in for a story, if I'm not mistaken. 
Yeah, I was going to say, because Drew, you're a little bit on the outskirts of the fandom, so you may not be aware of what we're referring to. And we're also assuming that there are some of our listeners who may not be aware of what's happening or what has happened over the weekend. Uh, So let's try to get Drew situated a little bit. So JJ, would you like to kind of give us a description of what happened over the weekend at DenverCon? Absolutely. So um, this past weekend, October 16th and 17th, there was a the first in-person supernatural convention uh, with CreationCon since uh, the pandemic has occurred. And um, it is the first con- live in-person convention that uh, Jared and Jensen, Misha, the whole cast has been able to attend. There's been a few mini conventions that some of the actors have appeared to, but this is the first supernatural convention that's been able to happen. Uh, And in the gold panel for Jared and Jensen, uh, an upper level panel for the convention where uh, both of them are there for about 35 minutes answering questions, uh, there was the final question that was asked uh, was in regard to Jensen about what the moment was that he knew that Castiel had a uh, romantic was romantically in love with Dean uh, was deep. And that was a deep love. Uh, what that moment, when that moment was uh, because it was a, it is uh, to quote the, um, the questioner was a moment that is often debated amongst viewers and fans. And Jensen began to reply about how he, how he played it was that Dean did not know until that very moment Uh, of the confession, the very widely talked about confession, Um, but that also he began to talk about how uh, in discussions about it that he wasn't quite sure if the word romantic was the right word. And then Jared interrupted his speech saying, because he's junkless, uh, which junkless being a reference that has been occurred many times on the show of calling angels junkless, And then uh, proceeded to then talk about, Jared then continued the conversation talking about how uh, he compared, he he started talking about how love is love, but that just because you love something doesn't make it mean you have to lust after someone, um, which is very well and true. But then he began equating the confession that Castiel had to Dean as one that is like the brothers had and how the show wasn't about incest or how it's like how he says, I love you to his son, but that doesn't mean he wants to have sex with his son, um, which is something that just didn't quite make sense in the moment. Uh, he then continued to spout out many LGBTQ pro praises about how you can love whoever you love and love is a superpower. And uh, then as he, uh, but that it wasn't a show about romantic love and that Castiel's confession wasn't about romance in this overarching story of the show. And then Jensen jumped back in to, well, he, uh, Jared gets a round of applause and then Jensen jumps back in and says about how uh, he doesn't think that the confession is romantic or lustful. It's because we don't quite have a word for it because it is heavenly and that Castiel loves on a higher plane and that can't be comprehended by human human emotion or a human word. And that it is again open for interpretation about how that moment is. And that is what is great about 
this show is that it is open for interpretation, which is the second time that he's talked about it. This, of course, all of this is in direct contradiction to Misha Collins' own words about the confession, that it was a homosexual declaration of love. So very clearly, there is there is something that is happening where uh, minds are not melding between the cast and the crew about what this moment, this big ginormous moment was. And uh, that was uh, this this moment, this answer to this question became a an excuse for a lot of Twitter uh, Twitter verse to start acting very homophobic and bigoted to a lot of Dustiel shippers and Dustiel fans and chaos ensued. Thank you, JJ, for this recap. Um, having lived through it on Twitter, I can say that it's absolutely accurate. It's exactly what happened. And even on our own podcast account, right after um, this panel, we received more homophobic comments than we usually receive. So the repercussions on real people were very real. You know, this isn't just um, actors on a stage talking about something that's cerebral, that doesn't exist, talking about fiction. Their words truly had an effect on people. Yeah, I 100%, oh yeah, 100% agree. And I also think, it's also very much become a thing of how, especially with this, uh, the talk about representation and interpretation also is something that was talked about a lot in the recurring homophobic comments. And I think uh, there's been a phrase that's been starting to be coined that representation isn't up to interpretation. Um, and I think that also became a very interesting talking point of, of this convention as well is how the the real effect on people's everyday life and that these words had, but also about what it actually means, what interpretation actually is and what representation actually is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really feels like it, it, it's almost like comedic in a sense, the fact that we have these three actors who are related to this scene in this event who have such different views but you can really break them down into the accepting of everyone, the I don't want to tread on everyone's toes because everyone's right, and then the no, you're wrong. Yeah. And it, just, it <laughs> yeah. breaks my heart a bit to think about it, but it really is that. I think what's also, what's very interesting is that uh, you said, um, uh, especially you say they're all three connected to the scene, uh, Jared Padalecki Ooh, actually. <laughs> is not in the scene, which I think is the very, a very confusing aspect of uh, one of this whole thing is that this question was very much directed into to Dean about how, when did Dean know to Jensen? Um, Jared went on this long tirade. Jared was not in the scene. And from what we've known about talking about the what was happening on set at the same time, Jared wasn't even on set for the filming of that scene because he was, really? I believe, already flying down. He was already flown down to be at the convention that was happening the day after they filmed the scene. I believe it was like Rob, um, who played Chuck, um, Jensen, Misha, and one or two others who 
then after filming the confession scene jumped on the plane and had everything that happened. So Jared's connection to the scene is a a big point of question. Um, And also the whole tirade didn't actually address the question, the initial question at all. Nope. No, the tirade had, I think, a very different agenda. Um, And it's very unfortunate that a queer relationship and especially a confirmed, I say a confirmed queer character, but I guess now it's up to interpretation, which is absolutely horrifying to me. Uh, But a, a queer character who says, I love you to someone who is the same sex as him, um, is now lumped in with this idea of like incest and pedophilia. Like this is, this is really just so harmful because it goes back to those really, 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 I'm going to say harmful again, but yes, those really harmful stereotypes about queerness and how it's otherness and different and bad in a very, very evil way. Right. I, I I definitely agree. I also think it's a trend that we're starting to see with uh, more and more queer representation that's happening um, is or where when people try to claim that they have queer representation in their show and media um, where they connect queerness to sexual perversion and they are not connected. Sexual perversion has nothing to do with queerness. Um, uh, it's like with the Loki show and the question of incest in the Loki show and then the tropes of like bisexual characters being sexually promiscuous. Um, it's something that we're seeing more and more happen. Mm-hmm. And so this connection that would be of, it's it, it's rhetoric that has been around for decades, uh, centuries, that queerness is somehow, you know, connected to incest and pedophilia, which is just 100% not accurate in, in a lot of ways, but also 100% inaccurate by just like on a statistical level. Um, around all that. So I think it's, I think it's very interesting when you, you said agenda and it's like, yeah, this, this was said, this seems to have been said with a purpose, with an intended response, uh, a a wanted response from a specific audience, which I think we heard when at the end of his long tirade about how this was uh, a platonic love, there were cheers in the audience and claps. Yes which I don't think I've been more horrified in a lot. Like I was horrified during the whole speech, but then I was even more horrified with the applause. With the applause yeah, it's, when, when he said that it was platonic. Yeah, that was. Yeah, it's, it's so hard to have something presented to you that you are so, that just hurts you at a core level and then see people accept it and praise it. Um. I mean, I feel like, and again, I know I'm coming from the outside of this from a lot of different reasons, a lot of different angles. So I just would love to imagine this exact same scenario, that exact same tirade, that exact same speech, that exact same question, if Castiel was a female presenting character. If Castiel was, and still junk list and this whole heavenly level of relationship, there would never be that tirade. There would never be that response. Like, well, I don't think also he would have said junk list about a female angel. And because I mean, what's, what's the idea behind this? Because, so you may not be aware of this true, but throughout the show, angels do have sexual relationships. 
And so there is no such thing as a quote unquote junkless angel. This was purely an attack either on Cass. Let's just yeah. say that it was an attack on Cass. <laughs> Cass yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think it's, it's so interesting uh, with the representation of Castiel throughout the show um, about, and his connection to sex because Castiel himself, it, it, it's a big moment when Cass like has sex for the first time. It's, they make it a very like fun funny moment um that's like like that's lighthearted a, a lighthearted mm-hmm. moment for the show and like a part of castiel's character growth and it's something that happens multiple times on the show i think the only difference between who Cass has sex with and who the boys is is that when Cass has sex with someone they don't die um so i think that <laughs> they don't end up dying um but i think there's this uh this interesting this interesting theme around both internally in the show and externally with the relationship of the actors and like the cast and crew and how they talk about it, about the dehumanizing of who Cass is and the de- the sexualization and desexualization of him in different ways. And then on top of that, the, um, the emasculation of Castiel and how all three of those things are interconnected. Yes. So you're bringing up something that I find really fascinating because in the same breath, he said he desexualized, you know, he sexualized um, the I love you by saying, you know, it's not or or he associated queer sex with or queer love in general, because it's there was no sex that we know of between Cass and Dean. Right. Um, So he associated queer love with something very with sexual perversion, like you talked about, but then there's also this whole other side of like, oh, well, he's junkless. And like we, and then if we move on a little bit to what Jensen then followed with, he said something about um, Cass's love not being, or or that the words romantic or sexual may not be appropriate to talk about uh, Cass's love or may not be accurate to describe his love. And so there's this, complete sanitization of caste, like let, or, or, or even just of queer love in general. Cause I think we need to talk about the, the bigger, the bigger repercussions or the bigger implications behind this tirade and the response. Um, so queer love is either sexual perversion or must be sanitized in order to be acceptable. Uh, yeah, I definitely, I, it's, it's definitely something that I completely agree. I completely agree with what you just said. Uh, and I especially think about the word that he used, how he called it heavenly, how it was on another plane from human emotions. And that's also a very harmful queer trope that has a lot of history about the magicalization of queer feelings that, and I think this is a, and it's a trope that Supernatural has used before. Uh, Drew, you're going to get there soon in season three, but Supernatural has this very fun phrase that it coined. I say fun with a very sour look on my face, uh, <laughs> that gay love can pierce the veil of death. Um, and it's it comes from a very a, a season three episode that it won a GLAAD award for. Yes, yes. Gay love can pierce the veil of death. It makes sense in episode, but basically it's the I first time. <laughs> it's it's the first time that Supernatural has the barrier gaze trope in it's all of its glory. And mm-hmm. one of the last things that it says in the episode is gay love can pierce the veil of death. And for 2008, 
that was actually probably uh, compared to what else was on television at the time, you know, it was pretty, pretty warming and pretty accepting <laughs> and people found it fun and lighthearted. But it's again, a part of this very long historical trope that queer feelings are in some way magical. And mm-hmm. by saying that they are magical makes them not human, makes them not real and makes them matter less. And so I think that's, I think that's some of the stuff that what Jared said, again, is leading to the, it has this is very damaging and has real impact on the everyday lives of queer people and queer supernatural fans about how people treat them. Um, but also what Jensen said, and I think I hear a lot of people arguing that what Jensen said was in a way that was a, a way to temper the uh, implications of what Jared said actually holds its own special type of harm. And I think we also need to address that because there is a long history of having queer feelings be less important um, and be somehow other. Yeah. Um, Thank you for saying that because I've also heard a lot of people saying that the worst words were said by Jared. And I, to a certain degree, I don't disagree. Um, But I do agree that the words that Jensen said were also, like you said, in their very special category, also very harmful. Um, But it's, uh, and sorry, it's not even but, it's and, it's in a more insidious way because people don't realize necessarily at first glance the harm that these words can have or can inflict on on queer folks. Um, And I've also... I kind of want to, I want to get into this. Let's give it a try. Um, I've heard that a lot of people were saying that Jensen was like looking like he was disapproving or like looking like he was shocked and, you know, making faces during Jared's tirade. But that, you know, Jensen probably didn't want to correct Jared because he didn't want to cause a stir after all the drama that happened over the announcement of the Winchesters. Just as a very quick quick parenthesis here, when the Winchesters, which is the prequel to um, Supernatural, which is supposed to tell the epic love story of Mary and John. So please tell me again how this yeah. show is not about romance. Um Jared had not been made aware and there was then a big, um, a big moment of like, well, Jared was gutted to quote him and he made that very well known on social media. Putting that aside, uh, I I get that. I, I get that Jensen, you know, was acting out of fear in this moment. And Because I can also act out of fear and sit silently when I hear people say openly really homophobic stuff. Because again, as a queer woman, I don't always know who in the room is going to have my back if I speak up. And if I'm being 100% transparent right now, I'm afraid to be speaking up about this because I know that this, again, is going to have real consequences for us in terms of getting hate comments. So I get why Jensen stayed silent. But as someone projecting a very heteronormative life, he has more power and privilege than the queer folks in the audience. And so he's the one in that room who actually holds equal power to Jared in that moment. And he chose not to defend and uplift queer folks. I 100% agree. I, I also think, I also think that 
this is more in line with Jensen's previous actions than I think people also give it credit for. I, I think a lot of people want to have this changing narrative about how Jensen Ackles responds to the question of sexuality and supernatural. And there has been some change, but I don't think that there is as much change as people are wanting to address it or label it as, mm-hmm. um, because there's a, there's a long history there. And I, I think Jensen not standing up for queer people and queer interpretations in a public setting, I think there's in a, on a public platform in a forum of people um, while in the spotlight is something that is a little bit more in line with his actions on this in regards to supernatural than a lot of people want to admit as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, cause I, you hear all these stories about his personal one-on-one interactions with fans that are very lovely and very heartwarming and very affirming but then you also have all of the stories where those one-on-one interactions weren't heartwarming and weren't, you know, um, you know, people wrote a book about it. Um, so, yeah. you know, there's, there's a lot. Oh, I don't know if we have, okay. Quick tirade. Uh, a fan, <laughs> a fan came to, uh, was getting something signed and wrote, had wrote an essay about breaking down why Dean is bisexual. And the title of it was Dean is, um, Dean is bisexual. I something along those lines and Jensen has wrote no, and then signed it. Right. He wrote no right next to the title. Um, and then, and then there is some, some reports say that Misha Collins then said, yet wrote yes on it and also signed it. But that I, I, I'm not quite sure on that part of the story. I've actually um, but, seen the pictures and he did, he did do that. Yeah. He used his silver pen and he's like, he crossed out the no and he said yes. And just to interject super quickly, it's up to interpretation until you interpret him as queer. Uh, yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Um, and then it got to the, um, and then someone had heard about this interaction and wrote a book based off of that interaction uh, which got eventually got them a job writing for Riverdale and they wrote the scene. Um, I'm weird. I'm a weirdo. They were writing on that episode. So basically someone oh, writing no. an essay about uh, Dean Winchester being bi eventually led to the I'm the weirdo speech. That's end tirade. But that is magical. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All roads lead uh. back to supernatural. Um <laughs> And it's so, so accurate in so many ways. <laughs> so many ways. Uh, but yeah, there's there's been a lot. And there's also the recording of someone just saying, I'm bisexual and I see things in this show and Jensen's reaction on stage. And I think everything kind of changed. When Jensen started uh, responding differently was when the conversations on set about Cass's ending were beginning to happen. It's the later... If you eventually you're only starting to see Jensen respond differently in the last couple of conventions. And um, it makes me kind of wonder, because based off of what Misha has said, Misha Collins has said, based off of what uh, the writer of the episode of the confession scene has said, based off of what Jared and Jensen has said, there seems to be some confusion about what the conversation on set was. 
about this moment because they directly contradict each other. Um, and the fact that we have a in I and I think we've talked about this a lot are our, our two TikTok channels about intention <laughs> versus, you know, interpretation um, and about and intention is such a strong conversation among Supernatural. There seems to be an intent here from Misha and the writer that was not reciprocated by other members of the cast and crew. And so what does that mean? And what does that, how does, how does that work and how we have queer representation later in the future? And how do we have to, how we have to fight for queer representation? Mm-hmm. Something I want to fall back on for a moment is I feel we, I, I think I may have accidentally steered us away from <laughs> my questions. I apologize, but I am so enthralled in some of these stories and there's, this fandom is nuts and I love it. That is a very positive. It's nuts because of how like just diverse and uh, sides there are to it. It's I'm constantly outwowed by it, but I almost want to go back to the way you describe these comments. And I do believe Mary, you also did uh, on our TikTok share a transcript of it, which I did try to read before this as well. So going into this, I had a better idea and it almost seems like Jensen's intent with the first part of his comment was to leave it open, but lean into what the question asker was saying and uh, validate them. And then had to step back after what was said. You know, I feel like that. Am I reading that wrong or do you feel there's something more to it? I, uh, the thing is I disagree even with the beginning of the answer because the question was specifically when did Dean realize that Cass had romantic feelings for him? Jensen could have just said he only realized when he, when Cass said, I love you. That's all. If he had just said this one sentence, it would not have been the harmful tropes of, you know, dehumanizing queer folks that we actually got. We would have had an actual answer to the question that does not involve Dean's feelings, that does not talk, does not talk about Dean's reciprocation, and that just acknowledges that the feelings that Cass had were romantic, but he, that wasn't even done. Um, and when it was Again, and that's something that kind of like bugs me a little bit. It's that Misha Collins had made it incredibly clear that this, and I I quote him, was a homosexual declaration of love. And just a couple of weeks later, and that was back in November, or that was back in November, actually. Yes, November 2020. Jensen Ackles then came up and said, oh, Misha and I have talked a lot about this and we want to leave it up to interpretation because you don't explain art. Art just is. Um, I, I'm taking editorial liberties here, but you know, I think that that was the gist of what was said, which was basically what we also got last weekend. And I, I have I have issues with that because kind of like what JJ, what you were saying, then what were they trying to portray during that scene? You know, I know what I saw. I know what I saw. I know what I felt and I know what I saw. I know that I identified this as queer romance properly. I am not worried about this. I am not questioning it. But it makes me wonder 
what were those conversations that happened on set? And where exactly did the worry for queer rep and queer folks, the queer fans who have been asking for this for 12 years, where did this come in? Yeah, yeah. And I also think on that, this being a conversation for 12, like you said, conversation for 12 years in the regard that queer fans have been asking for this and not just queer fans, ally fans. Like That's true. it is there are over a hundred thousand fix on AO3 about Destiel that requires tens of thousands of authors. And there are not as many authors as they are fan. Like it's, it's a very much a small section of fans and fandom that write fan fiction. Mm-hmm. This it's a huge, this, this story that this, uh, this, this trend of this, uh, this lie about that, Dusty L shippers are only a small portion of the supernatural fandom is such a crazy story because it, it's such a large portion of what's actually happening. Um, but also with the over 12 years is Misha Collins has been very, I don't want to say very open, but he has addressed the fact that this is something that he has talked about. And there has been conversations about for a very long time on the set of supernatural and that, it is something that he had to fight for and something he could not believe happened and that it would not have happened five years ago. It would not happen 10 years. It would have happened. This is the one moment that it could have happened. Um, and you can even see uh, in, that con- in that conversation that Misha labels it as a homosexual declaration of love, Mark Shepard immediately says, uh, and says homosexual declaration of love and that, you know, we kind of all talked about it and we all, you know, that, you know, Cass was in love with Dean and Mark Shepard immediately says, oh, we all knew that. And so like, this is clearly something that has, oh, and then we even have moments that have been words that have been changed on set and moments in the script that Jensen Ackles has purposely changed from the script because he believed that they were too romantic to be between the two characters. We have an, I love you that has been changed. We have a whole speech about how I knew you would be in my life again that have just been cut out and changed uh, because it wasn't, it would be too romantic. We have whole scenes that were filmed that were in commercials for an episode that once fans saw the response to that were then taken out of the episode because of, you know, how oh, people responded to it. So this has very much been a conversation for 12 years. And it's very clear that there has been some sort of fight and struggle about what this relationship is supposed to look like. What is it intended? What is it supposed to look like? And how uh, we are profiting off of the show. Okay. Now you're bringing in the, 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 the meat and potatoes of this. The magic because, word. <laughs> yes. Profit. Because at the end of the day, nobody turned down queer... F- queer people's money. Queer fans have been, like you said, populating AO3 with a hundred thousand fix about Cass and Dean. To give you an idea, the one behind them, and this was already, this was January, 2021. I don't even have the updated stats. The one behind it was Sherlock Holmes and John Watson at just about, just above 60,000. It's a huge disconnect between how many fics there are about 
Dean and Cass and how many fix there are about everyone else. Um, so Let, that's not also okay. talk about Sherlock is a Sherlock and Watson is a ship that has been <laughs> happening since the original Sir Arthur Conan Doyle novels and publications in the newspapers in the 1800s. Yeah, in the 1800s. That is a several, <laughs> like it's a 200 year old. They had show. a very unfair head start. They had a Destiel very still wins. And, and Destiel still wins. Of course, most of those fanfics are about Sherlock BBC. Yes. But the, it is a that is a ship that has had a long history and a long build. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that that's for just even just on the fanfic side, because let's be very honest. Also, the amount of people who are already immersed in different fan cultures, in different fan circles, who are going to end up reading a fan fiction about a specific pairing, who then end up watching the show and then become fans of that show as well. Like that's how fandoms kind of like become those super who lock phenomenon that we saw at some point in the 2000s. So it was very easy to take the money, the attention and the engagement of queer fans. Um, You know, let's give them photo ops with a lot of rainbow flags and, and, but when it counts, when you're actually having to step out of your comfort zone and step up and say, you know, I don't think that that's an appropriate answer that wasn't there. I think something that's very interesting uh, in this conversation of profits, um, especially in the now, in the post-supernatural profit world, is that there was a push uh, last year. I remember happening on TikTok, on Twitter, amongst SDL fans um, and amongst queer fans of no longer trying to provide money to the show, of mm-hmm. don't go to conventions, don't buy the DVDs, you know, watch, stream it illegally and don't watch it on when it was premiering. Like there was this, this kind of small push of we're no longer providing, especially after the, once the show ended and how the show wrapped up, um, that queer fans should no longer provide money to the show. Um, and so, which has also made, I think, a very interesting dynamic in conventions, because conventions for Supernatural are not often safe spaces for queer people. And like, it's very much a filmed thing, even to the Denver convention of a fan walking up and asking about the confession and the mic handler telling them they couldn't ask and Misha had to interrupt them in order to allow the fan to ask the question. And so it seems to be a top-down, unsafe mm-hmm. for queer people, unless you are paying for a photo op or you are paying for a signature or something personal. Um, and so you can very much see that there is not necessarily a safe space for people, at, uh, queer people at conventions, and queer people don't want to go. And so there's this, dis a lot of the times, or it is a, it is a sacrifice to go to a convention in a certain way of like, what am I sacrificing to be here? Even though I want to be here and I want to ask my questions, um, which I may think it makes a very interesting dynamic about what they say at conventions, knowing, 
because I, I very much think that there are two, there are two sides of the coin of the supernatural fandom. You have very much the, uh, the homophobes, the straight up, just straight up homophobes. And then Mm -hmm. you have queer people and allies, and it's very much split down the middle of like two loud voices. Um, because even the queer people who aren't Dest- who hate Destiel often show in their comments, and I think you can agree with the comments you've gotten on this podcast and on TikTok, they very quickly show their internalized homophobia 100%. and their self and the yeah. self-hate that they have for their own sexuality. It's very mm. quick to see, you're very quick to see it. Um, mm. And it's because they're very quick to show it. And I think it makes um, the whole of Supernatural conventions and the conversations around the show very interesting about how how are how do queer fans put them put them use the money use their influence use their power in order to you know change the way that we are represented in the media mm-hmm. because you still have so many homophobes of the supernatural fan pouring their money and pouring even more money and attention to it with this dichotomy, it's very much feels like they are playing the two sides of the coin. Misha gets to be the representation for the queerness and cast and queer money. People will throw their money for that. And then Jared and Jensen get to tow the company line in a way, shape mm-hmm. or form, and money gets thrown that way as well. So it's a very, I, I think profit seems to be a very big contender in this way. And you know what? Something that I find really interesting about this is, you know, we keep, we keep, and and this is also something that I've, I've never been to a convention, so I can't speak from experience, but I have seen people who have been to them say that um, there are, you know, not only is it a, a an unsafe space because of the top down from creation down to the fans, but also from fans to other fans. So there's definitely that feeling that it's it's not always a safe space to ask questions. And we've seen this even in videos that you can find on YouTube, like that um, that person who was saying, you know, I, I'm bisexual. You, you talked about it, JJ, earlier. Uh, I'm bisexual and I see a lot of myself in Dean and the whole crowd starts booing. And it's, I mean, I, I honestly can't um, imagine like a more embarrassing situation, frankly, like absolutely uh, horrifying. And I even got lost in my words thinking about it. <laughs> um, but what I'm trying to say is that like, so you have the the, the fans who's, who are completely against um, the pairing of Dean and Cass, the ship of Dean and Cass, because oftentimes, you know, there's this false narrative that, oh, you're just mad about your ship. No, there are bigger repercussions to this, you know, like, so there's, there are these people and who are pouring money into conventions. And then you have the queer fans who are, or at least starting to kind of pull back from them as a way to, to, to protest. But then the only thing then that supernatural the franchise is seeing are those people who are pouring money into the conventions who are against Dean and Cass and who use a lot of really homophobic um, thoughts and comments in order to make their point. But on the flip side, you have Misha Collins who launched a book just what, 10 days ago? 10 days ago, exactly. He's a New York Times bestseller now. So, 
sometimes I wonder, do they, do they just not want money from queer fans because the amount of merch, the amount of engagement that they could possibly get if they actually properly leaned into queer, proper queer representation, I think would be much more than what they're getting currently. Yeah, I, I agree. And I also think there's, there's this very, one of the reasons why I jumped in the show, which just makes this, this show this phrase so much pop, so much more popular is queer people will watch anything with any amount of queer representation in it. <laughs> it does not matter what it is. And you can see this again, all of a sudden my for you page was just, and my, my accounts on other sites were just being like, it, it happened. It happened. It happened on November 5th <laughs> and I could oh. not escape it. And I, I, it was finally the moment where I was like, okay. And people were talking about, is it, is it barrier gaze? Is it not barrier gaze? It's 100% barrier gaze. That's a rant I could go on for an hour. Um, yeah. It's what, what is this, the finale? How is it representation? That's bad queer representation. It's bad mental health representation, Absolutely. the finale. And I think that's not talked about enough. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just goes to show you that like, I got sucked into this thing because it finally happened. And I know so many queer people who, if it, they engaged, if the show itself engaged with the fact, they would love a 12 year slow burn. I think there's something that people don't realize <laughs> with queer representation, especially with this, this burst of queer representation that we're finally starting to see is that there is a generation of Gen Z and millennials who are raised on slow burns. They are raised on X-Files. They were raised on Friends. They were raised on How I Met Your Mother, on NCIS with Tony and Ziva, with Booth and Bones. Like we were raised on that type of storytelling of a decade long slow burn of just getting a moment here or there. And so if you told a queer person that there was a 12 year long slow burn that ended, that was confirmed at the end, you would have every, no matter how much, how many times the show hate crime women, POC, queer people, trans people, it hate crime people all 15 seasons. (laughs) Every single queer person would still turn it on and watch it to get to the fact that it was a 12 year slow burn because we are Mm -hmm. just dying for representation informs and seeing ourselves on screen in a way mm-hmm. um, and seeing ourselves in a screen in a way that we have been raised to see ourselves. And that's something I, I brought up before is that there's this, and again, it's something I feel like I preach on the show and on our social media a lot is there is amazing queer representation happening. And weirdly it is coming from Netflix's animated departments. It's all the, sh- all the animated shows that Netflix is doing that have these amazing slow burn romantic relationships where like, whether, whether it is plot centric, whether it is a B character, whether it is just inconsequential, just it happens to be that they're gay, but the representation is there and it's main characters and it's, but it's the fact these are shows aimed at children, which first of all, good. And secondly, that audiences of all ages are turning to it because it's the representation they crave that we crave. And it's, I mean, it, I don't want to put anything against these shows. They're great shows regardless of your age. But the fact that shows that are being aimed at children are doing it right to the point where more mature audiences are turning to it tells you there's an audience for it. So from the capitalist angle, they're clearly missing something. 
percent. There is a thirst and a, there is no, there is a need for this. There is a need for, for, for queer folks to see themselves represented on media and not just, and not just in the really tropey ways that we've been represented in the past. So um, hopefully this is uh, going to be a, hopefully we're walking into a new era of queer representation. And just like, as we're kind of winding down, I, I want to bring up something that you said, JJ, on one of your lives, um, the one that you invited me to be a, a part of. So thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Um, you said that Supernatural has the privilege of being a show that's being reclaimed by queer folks, by the queer community. And I had never considered that before. Um, because it's, I mean, at the end of the day, it's very true. It buries their gaze multiple times. It's really hateful towards women, hateful towards Black and Indigenous folks. It's um, uh, it's just... Religiously insensitive. <laughs> religiously insensitive, mm-hmm. culturally insensitive. Like, it's it's all of those things and more. And yet, the queer community is like, it's okay. We can rehab you. We've got you. And I wish that, but it, it's true. Like, you know, I, I wish that Supernatural, the franchise was a little bit more aware of that and more grateful, I guess, because not every show that has hate crime, so many people has that privilege of being reclaimed by a community. Um. Yeah, no, I definitely, I, I think about, um, reclaim i was i think about reclaiming a lot with supernatural especially with that and the privilege and i think the question that comes to my mind so often and this is something that we also talked about in the live that i I invited you to was legacy supernatural and legacy and because i i remember i remember in high school watching supernatural Watching the idea of watching Supernatural was not something that I would ever do. Why? Because I was I was closeted. I was like I was not comfortable in expressing myself. And to the outside perspective of me, that was a queer show, and only queer people watched it. And it was about <laughs> queer people and queer stories. I did not. I was on the outskirts of Super Hulock. I didn't know anything about the show. That's all I knew about it. Um, which just goes to show you how strong that is how how queer people really just attach themselves to it and i think about like the legacy now post i i started watching post um and one of the big the biggest response to all of my videos is i've been saying this for years thank you for putting it into words or it's so nice to see someone who has never seen the show say see the things that we are seeing um and i think Cause like when you, when you look up, when I, I, like I had a media textbook at one point in college and when you open it up, supernatural does not appear in the horror genre. It does not even appear in the long running television section. It appears in queer representation. That is where you're going to find it specifically under queer baiting earned or not. Cause that is a, the queer baiting debate, whether mm-hmm. or not what it is queer baiting is what shows actually deserve queer baiting not getting into that, you're going to find Supernatural as the first thing that appears on it. And that is only going to get stronger as time goes by, as queerness becomes more integrated into society, into media, into the way that, you know, it's more accepted. You know, the biggest reason why queerness is 
coming becoming more accepted is because of generational turnover. It's something that's well known fact at this point. Um, is that the, what is the legacy 10, 15, 20 years from now? 20 years from now, when they do the reunion of you know, Supernatural 35 years ago, started 35 years ago. What is, how are people going to view it? Is there going to be a want for it? Or are people just going to be like, yeah, that was, that was some, you know, and how, how people view it. What are the questions that are asked? What are new fans mm-hmm. going to think? Because from a lot, what I've seen, like I have so many followers that are 15, 14, that weren't even alive. And they're very much being like, how, what what do you mean this didn't happen? What do you mean? Because the comprehension of what queer representation <laughs> is not the same for someone who's 14 now and who grew up watching She-Ra because they got to grow up watching She-Ra versus someone who was just like, oh, She-Go. She-Go on Kim Possible represents me. And we had nothing with yep. She-Go. It was just the design itself. It was just like, that's <laughs> queer. So I like, mean, are you have you seen the discourse with Sailor Moon now that they've re-released it with the original scripts? And oh like all Lord. of the deep-seated like people being like, I identify with her because like I think she's queer. And then it's like, oh yeah, no, she was queer this entire time. And the English dub just removed it all. Just, and all the queer rep you thought you had was there. Was, Here it is. We're sorry we hit it. Yeah, it's it's exactly that. It's mm-hmm. the way that uh, and I think that's also what's gonna make this queer the fight for queer representation so so different is that you have people growing up with Shira, with Julie and the Phantoms, with the Owl House, and they're just when they get to be twenty-five and or nineteen even or eighteen, and they're watching television shows, and they don't see themselves on screen. With all the options that are out there now, they're just going to turn it off. Mm-hmm. And if they're not seeing people being treated like characters and identities being treated with uh, respect and with a lot of uh, work and effort put into them, they're going to turn it off. Mm-hmm. And we are seeing that, like the amount of hate, like, yeah, we're seeing that. And we're seeing that also with shows that have ended a long time ago, like Friends, for example. That's the one that comes to mind right away because I, I was rewatching it not that long ago and it was so insidiously hateful that I had to turn it off because I didn't want my son to hear it. I was like, no, 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 you're not hearing those comments about about a transgender woman that is absolutely not happening. So I, I, I turned it off and we haven't, I haven't watched friends with my son since then, because it's just not something that I want him watching at all. So yeah, um, the more queer representation we have, the more choice there is and the less we're going to need to rely on these, you know, breadcrumbs that we've been given and that we're so used to. And that when we get a little tiny bit of a bigger, like when we get a crouton, we're happy because it's not a crumb, right? <laughs> so. Well, the positive thing now is, again, as you said, with the generational turnover, is people, younger generations who are growing up with that representation are the next generation who are going to be creating. And we are now in a world where being a creative type and being able to create isn't as restricted as it was 15 years ago when Supernatural started. And you had to get the big money from the big guys upstairs who made all the right the choices that, you know, pushed the show towards the generic white male 30 something audience they wanted because that's what their moneymaker was. We now have, and I know Netflix isn't the greatest example. They're as problematic as any other big company, but at least when it comes to the creative vision, they are saying, hey, you have a creative vision. You want to make something. 
go for it. We're not going to sit here and tell you that your character is too gay or you need to, you know, put, you know, make them this or make them that you can tell your story. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I do also think even just the power of the individual creator now, especially with mm-hmm. the platform like TikTok, I don't know about you guys, but some of my favorite television shows right now are just people's series on TikTok where they have skits and they have created worlds. There's this one creator who has like a whole thing based on the Zodiac and it's like based on the YA tropes and it's so engaging. And there was representation, there's like thought and it plays with tropes and it's funny and it's engaging. And every episode's only like, a minute long. Now I think some of them are three minutes, but it's some of my favorite television that's happening right now is a girl and her phone and a green and uh, using a green screen effect, creating narratives. Um, like call me Chris has like this whole universe of characters with story and representation uh, with a, like a queer WLW romance like now. And it was just because, that's where like fans were responding. She saw that this was a possibility and she went with it and she honored what she had created. And now we have this really good, they went on a date in the last episode a couple of weeks ago and I got really <laughs> excited. Um, I love that. It's like indi- the power of the individual storyteller is something that we haven't seen in like literally centuries. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we're now seeing that power come back with things like TikTok. And even with things like, um, the Bat Family comics. That was just a bunch of fans that and comic makers who like really loved it and got permission and created it and, you know, and got like licensing, like that was a fight, but like that, that didn't exist. Like that wasn't something that was going to happen a decade ago. Years ago. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And also with the power of the individual, the power of what audiences want, because creators would not have created a lighthearted Bat Family comic uh, now they're not even making it now, but fans who created and got the licensing rights to do the Batfam comic are making things that fans want to see. Like there is, we are past Grimdark. I think people haven't realized that yet, but Grimdark mm-hmm. has been over for a while. Um, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think like what fan, like there is this push of what fans want to see and they have power to, and that they're taking and claiming that power to create what they want to see themselves. Mm-hmm. It's the, that idea that we've we've seen enough pain and suffering in our own lives. We're seeing it as we're living it. And we just, we need some lighthearted entertainment. You know, yep. Specifically mm-hmm. for queer people, sacrifice yes. is something that we are very well aware of. Oof. Well, on these words, (laughs) thank you so much to both of you for like this amazing and challenging conversation. It was really, really lovely. There was no need to sacrifice except for time, but that's a whole other story. Um, JJ, thank you so much for spending some time with us tonight. Honestly, like it was so wonderful to be able to collaborate with you on this. Uh, and for our listeners who don't already, uh, do that, please go follow JJ on TikTok. His handle is JJBWayWatch, and he has a ton of really insightful videos about queerness in media. And again, you can always find us on TikTok or Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, really all the socials at Carrying Wayward. And you can also join us and become a patron by heading over to patreon.com slash carrying wayward. And as always, you want to say it with us? Oh, oh, absolutely. All right. Three, two, one. 
Carry on, carry on, or friends. Carry on, or wayward friends. Carry on, or wayward friends. I love it. I love it. Carry on, or wayward friends. Yeah. This is so chaotic. I love it. There was such a delay between the two of you. I was like, oh, 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 carry on. 